Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Kevin Grail. And I'm Paul John Dykes. And welcome to our Celtic State of Mind. Today we're joined by Wally Wilson. Hello. Welcome Hello to the show, Wally. How are you doing? Here? Thank you. Now, Wally was one of the founders of the famous Save Ourselves campaign. What year did you found Save Ourselves, Wally? Uh, I think it was 90 into 91, around about that season, we had lost the League Cup final. So just after Brian Dempsey got the sack, so yeah, around about then, 1991 season, I think it was. I take it there was a long, hard road for you to make the decision to actually start a protest group. <laughs> I mean, it was maybe 25 years in the making because of the the kind of downfall of Celtic, the, the kind of mismanagement of it, and the, the lack of investment in it since the 70s. Now, I started going in the early 70s. My dad, my uncles took me along to Celtic Park as a as a wee boy, but. Obviously, you, it's a bit like, do you know when Tony Soprano says that when he comes in, he just he felt he came in just at the end, it was too late. I feel that with Celtic. We came in just when it was too late. The, the good times had been, we, you know, we're never going to see Celtic win a European Cup again. It doesn't change anything about why we go and why we do it, and you've always got that dream. But the reality is, you know, we, we've come in too late, and, and I came in especially by the time I started going, the lines were splitting up. So never really got to see the lines, but got to see some great players. But I think from that, you know, they're the like uh, selling Douglas in, in, in the mid 70s and things like that, and selling Nicholas and so on into the 80s. It, there was a, you could see the kind of downward trajectory, but. The Aberdeen, the rise of that, the, you know, there, there was various things that could have been prevented. And these days, 
in, in football that there's not a lot you can do about the way UEFA, you know, gerrymander the, the Champions League. But back in the 70s and 80s, there was a lot Celtic could have done to keep the profile high, to keep the standard of player high, to have those players kept together, to build a team around Kenny Douglas, to build a team around Nicholas, that kind of thing. And they never done it. So it was probably 25 years in the, in the, in the making. It was a, a series of frustrations over a number of decades that by the time I think we got to that late 80s and you could kind of see the shift of power moving, uh, not not just across Glasgow, but across Scotland. Aberdeen weren't a force any more than the United weren't going to be a force. Um, and there was a, an opportunity there for Celtic that, that was, was being missed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really what started it. And it, it kind of coincided with, obviously, the, the results, you know, going south big time. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the early 70s when you go to the games, Willie. Was it with your father and your uncles or was it... Yeah, so, I mean, grew up, kind of background, like a lot of guys from, from Glasgow, traditional working class, worked in the, the, the shipyards, kind of mixed a kind of Scottish-Irish parentage and whatever. So, you know, there was never any doubt that, you know, Celtic was, was, was part of the family. And, and like that, you know, you know, like any family, you, you, you're going to have really good times with your family and really bad times. So, you know, you kind of took, you, you took that for, you know, as, as it was. But my, my whole kind of point was, was just the fact that, you know, it could be so much better. And how do you make something better? Be, be trying to change things, be, be communicating and talking and, and that, that kind of stuff to, to try and do that. Mm-hmm. Again, two two players you mentioned there, Dalgleish and, and Nicholas. Mm-hmm. I think Nicholas more so because the club could have done a lot more to keep him. I mean, he's obviously gone on record since the transfer because it was made up as though he he was dying to move away from Celtic. And in many ways, you know, he the story he tells is that Celtic were dying to sell him. Yeah, Dalgleish, there was no way we could keep him at that point. I no. think, like what you said, you came came too late. He realised himself. Celtic weren't going to win another European Cup, think, and that was his ambition. I think Douglas had done his tour of duty as well. He did. He had done everything. Oh, there was, that he could, I, I mean, you don't think you you, Celtic, you could decry yeah. anybody no. for 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 wanting to leave it, and that's the case. But if Celtic had shown the ambition that they could have done, so especially after you know 1972, 73, 74 season, and and, and invested in the team, and you know really built a team around Douglas and, and kind of shown that aptitude that you know we, we're going to do everything to keep you here. We'll pay you whatever anybody in England can pay. And yeah. we could have done. And he probably never got that feeling. And Douglas only moved purely for didn't move for money, moved for football reasons to win things, to play in Europe. There was no reason why Celtic, three years after being in a European semi final, couldn't have done that. No, you're right. And I think again that the change in, in although the, the club was controlled by the same few families uh, throughout that period, the change in chairmanship was a, was a pivotal moment in terms of if you look at the Lisbon Lions team, none of that side were sold when they were at their peak. Yeah, the next crop that came through, the best of them were sold, and we found out last week just that Celtic even got an offer for Danny McGrain from Manchester United. Something I had never known, but Danny told me that directly. But we sold McCarry, we sold Hay, we sold Dalgleish. So there was a complete change, as you say, in trying to invest and build on the, the talent that we had because that Quality Street Gang team that you yeah. were watching. They, you know, if you look at them in terms of the group of players, they could have gone on to better things. Absolutely. I mean, you look at what the Lions done, but the Quality Street gang, you know, you look at their boys all coming through and the skill and the ability they had, no matter how it ended up. But on paper, they looked 
better players, you know, better athletes, mm-hmm. better footballers. You know, more naturally, technically gifted. Now you take you take probably you know we jinky out the, the lines, and you you, you take uh, Bobby Murdoch out, but the rest of them you know are just physical, fast players, known how to play a certain style. Whereas this next crop coming through, you know, your George Conley's, your Douglas's, your McGrange, you know, you're talking world class players here. Yeah, yeah, and the way they describe it as well, Willie, is they learnt through this form of basically working with the lines day in day out you know and so they got a lot of that experience and it should have been another decade of dominance uh, domestically it should have been more semi-finals and finals in Europe you're absolutely right by the 80s the one thing again I'd like to bring up is we get told as Scottish football fans of this 1986 Scottish football revolution when Sunas came in it wasn't quite like that when you look at the facts and Jim has given us loads of you know spreadsheets and accounts and you know Rangers basically in 1986 became the first Scottish club to go into debt that was the reality of it wasn't it and at that time I think the only thing that slowed down the process of the fan movement if you like is we always did something a wee bit special so we had the centenary season Mm -hmm takes the focus away a wee bit so by the early 90s you're a frustrated fan you're looking at the club who have failed to invest in the stadium so the stadium is dilapidated failed to invest in the playing staff the amount of youth that was coming through had dried up significantly you know we always had a team of players ready almost to step in so what was the first sense that you had that a movement is going to happen we're going to have to group together did you make that call was it something that you had heard from elsewhere I suppose the fanzines mm-hmm. fanzines are a big part of it so not the view especially you know I mean for me waiting for that coming out every kind of four weeks it was like you know it was like the Christmas morning waiting for it to drop through to the war and just reading things that you know that, that likes to uh, Jerry Dunbar had written or you know Joe Miller and whatever within it and guys like Brendan O'Hara as well you know just good comment good insightful stuff that you think that's exactly how I'm feeling so if I'm feeling this way and these guys are feeling this way why is nothing happening so that, that, that was really it and then obviously the, the same kind of hard group of pals that we, the kind of core group we go to the games boys for Claybank and they all felt the same way so you think well can we do anything about it what will we do so kind of just thought then you know well why don't we just print leaflets I'll get that done I knew somebody was a printer do us a thousand leaflets Three of us went up to the game before Hearts it was and, and handed them out and we got a fair bit of abuse. But we handed them out and we got a really good reply, you know, a good re- return on it. You know, quite a few hundred people said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. And kind of from that, we decided that we would get together and meet. So we picked a few names, told a few people where we were going and come along on a, a kind of cold January night, probably, you know, as I said, 25 years or so ago. Um, and, and even more than that now, about 28 years ago. And uh, we met in Sundowners in Queen Street and there was about a dozen guys there just sitting talking away about, you know, what we could do and what we could try and do. And we just thought, OK, we'll start by just putting pressure on. Yeah. Try to get stuff together and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. The, the thing is, we're talking about it now and you're bringing back so many memories. You're talking about Not The View, you know, getting that monthly. I remember getting handed that in 1987. And at that time, I wanted to read about Paul McStay. I was just a kid and you were reading about the board and you were reading about the mismanagement at the club it was a great insight at that time um, it's, it's something that you probably wouldn't have expected to be reading about at that age but we were entering the realms of if something isn't done there's going to be severe repercussions when you met up with a dozen guys in a pub in Glasgow 
did you get a sense that this was the seeds of something that was going to be massive? I mean, I'm not saying that your group started the takeover, for example, but yeah. it certainly started the wheels in motion along with the fanzines. There was a bit of momentum coming together. Yeah, and, and I think you, you can, I suppose, suppose looking back, and, and we certainly never achieved the aims of what we thought we'd do. That, that that's the first thing to say about that. But you know, we, we had a wee spark that started something somewhere along the line. You know, the move down the roads. You know, within a couple of years, the the, the sales for change and. You know, Brendan Sweeney, especially for me, is the is the one link between the two groups that, right. that takes it all the way through. And even to this day, the, the stuff that Brendan does is, is, is for me is, is probably you know, from a fan point of view, the single most important person. So valuable, and he, he doesn't like like he wouldn't like to stand and talk about. No, it, no, you know? and and I mean, it's a funny thing. Is me and Brendan, we we, we grew up in Claybank. I kind of knew him. But he, I think he was maybe a year younger. I mean, it, when you're younger, a year's a big difference, you know. But then he was, I was in the railway, we weren't in the railway at the time, and so was he. So kind of paths started crossing, and we stayed on the same, well, you know, within a mile of each other on the stream, same stretch of road in Clydebank. But it was, you know, through talking to Brendan, and I, I kind of put him in touch with Matt McGlone to, you know, take forward the, the, the kind of sales for change stuff. Because at that point, my, my feeling was that, you know, the fans, we could never get more than 500 people coming to talk to us and writing to us and, and kind of engaging with us. It, it just it just seemed to be that point that results always seemed to pick up when we, we were at a crucial kind of junction. You think, you know, we were just fated never to, to have the... The disaster that it would need, unfortunately. But I, I just thought we were already in that disaster. Yeah. Three or four good results, or beating Rangers in a, you know, a, a league game, a meaningless league game at Ibrox or something. Like that. Just talking about a, you know, a cup competition once every kind of six times you play them was was the answer to it. it, you know? it didn't beating it? them twice in seven days. Yeah, that, stuff that like, stuff like knocked that. Out the wind right out of our sails. There's, there's no doubt about it. How can you complain if you're beating Rangers twice in a week and you think you know there's oh there's a chance here, you know? Mm-hmm. And changing managers always gives everybody fresh, renewed hope, doesn't it? It does. You know, it does. When, when you move from McNeil to Brady, Brady to McCarry, you know, don't matter what, you know what history says about these guys. When, when if you're a fan, you think this is it now. This is where we'll go. You know. Well, you know, you, you bring. It's a good point. McNeil goes hero to everybody mm-hmm. and they replaced him with an untested chap in Liam Brady but obviously there was a link because he played for Ireland yep. he comes in he was renowned as a player all over Europe and he started throwing money at it so with your kind of mindset of Celtic not being managed properly what were you thinking when he's gone out and buying players for a million and 1.5 million <laughs> again it's the type of players mm-hmm. To, to me, some of the some of the signings that we made at that point, I mean, we wasted a lot of good money yeah. on players that shouldn't be no. I mean, it wasn't. To be fair, it wasn't. It wasn't just Brady that wasted money. Billy McNeil wasted money on guys like Martin Hayes. So, you know, there's a history, and even today, you know, managers wasting money on signing absolute rank players that you think, why are they there? But I, I mean, I know what you're saying. You, in, in one hand, you're saying invest in the club, and the, the club's going out there and spending money. But I think if you looked at the type of players that other clubs were signing. So, you know, we, we never signed any, for, in my opinion, you know, any world-class defenders. We didn't get guys coming back, England International signing for us, you know. We we didn't go for guys that were well-known in other parts of the world. We, we by and large, we, we, we stuck to the British market and, you know, some of the players, even though on paper, guys like Stuart Slater looked great and Tony Cascarino looked magic for Ireland, you know, really, and you, they were never Celtic players. No. We, did get, we did get a diamond in Paul Elliott, though. We did, um, and obviously, we're never going to hang on to them. So, we, you know, there's always that catch-22. If we do get somebody decent, we, we will want to sell them or they will want to move. You mentioned the League Cup final. 
mm-hmm. their save ourselves yep. basically started. Was that the League Cup final Elliot scored on? Um, I think it was, aye. I think it was. So obviously on the Friday night they had sacked Brian Dempsey. Um, and then the preparation for the, the, the Cup was, you know, it was basically, here we go again, you know, and Evie, a big game especially. And that game, you know, we, we, we played okay, given did, what it was, but just the same old feelings coming back, you know, can't take the chances, that much pressure in a game, trying to, you know, one nil up, looking good, and we, we changed things, and you know, I, I can remember the substitutions and thinking we were doing okay here, and then all of a sudden we're, you know, we're getting beat two one. It was yeah. cold and it was wet. Oh, it was horrible. Absolutely horrible. Jack and Oski missed a one on one. Aye, I remember that pivotal moment. So you've got this idea, this sense, things are not good. The communications are a wee bit more difficult. We're doing it through fanzines mm-hmm. and phoning each other up, etc. And you've had your meeting. You've had your meeting with a dozen guys. You mentioned there that you didn't quite achieve what you, you set out to. What was your objectives at that point? I think, you know, the, the, the first objective was to, to get a kind of line of communication with the board mm-hmm. to, you know, and it wouldn't matter where you sit talking about Celtic. The, 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 the communication with the fans has never been there. It's not there today. And it, was, it certainly wasn't there back then. Now, the difference today is obviously shareholders and people have got a voice at an AGM and they'll say, well, you know, that way. But there's the representation of the fans, the people that are always going to be there, that continuity that takes everything through well, has, has never been heard at Celtic. And it probably would be the one club that you think actually would depend more than the fans on anything else. Because if, if we don't go to watch Celtic, we don't go to watch anybody. Mm-hmm. And whereas some teams, some other clubs, they'll, they'll go and watch you know, like junior football or the local team. I, I wouldn't watch anybody else but Celtic. So I, I just felt that, you know, the first thing would be trying to get that dialogue, but it became quite clear early doors where like Sir Chris White and so on that they would want nothing to do with us. We were an embarrassment, basically. They said, he said that in a letter. Yeah, he did. He I? actually called you an embarrassment to the club. Yeah. I, I think one of the, the things round about that time was the press were quite gleeful and telling us the predicament that we were in, which was completely different from what happened six, seven, eight years ago. Uh-huh. Were the press helpful with you? Did they give you the publicity that I mean, you I, wanted? Or yeah. Double-headed sword here, isn't it? Because on, on one hand, you, you, you need them because how else can you, you get your, your message through? So we were dependent on them picking up news stories. We were p- dependent on them, you know, maybe letting us call the phone and have a chat to them to, to get, let them know that what we were doing and to give the address to the PO box that we had to get people to write to back then. And we stamped address to envelopes, you know, very blue Peter. So it was that kind of stuff. But... Hugh Evans, um, when I listened to the, the, the podcast with him, and Hughes was, you know, really, he was great with us. Again, he lived in Clydebank, so kind of knew of Hugh through other people, uh, through my mate Andy McGarvey and his brother, you know, put me in touch with Hugh. And I took Hugh to various things. He couldn't drive, so I would pick him up at his house and chat to him on the way to events and meetings and whatever, you know, at Shelston Hall and just give him an insight of, you know, exactly what we were doing. So he was very sympathetic. James Trainer again, uh, when he, I think it was the Herald he was writing at the time, you know, he was he was a different animal back then. Um, and again, gave us, you know, most of the, the, the coverage that we needed. But I suppose experience tells you that there's another side of that as well because, well, Rangers are flagging high and you've got a story about the, you know, the, the, the fan pressure on Celtic and about how bad the Celtic border, that, that for them is good news. That's, that, you know, yeah. that, mm-hmm. that, that'll sell a newspaper. Jim, as you know, Jim Orr was on the show mm-hmm. and Jim provided us with some fantastic uh, footage from the time. And you mentioned there, Shettleston Halls. Was that the first the first meeting that you got the fans together for? Yeah, so we we, we done two there, but the very first one was, at, I'm, I'm sure it was at the start 
of 91 or 92 again read about that maybe January 92 I'd got a letter for Tommy Burns so we'd, we'd, Tommy wrote to me and it was a lovely letter handwritten three, four pages long just sitting there telling us saying, look if you're going to do this you need to do it right you need to represent remember you're representing Celtic um, now he's manager at Kamarnik at the time he's got no vested interest in other than he's a fan yeah. Um, it says you know when you're there conduct yourself the way that it's got to be done and if you can get Brian Dempsey on board but kind of all this had been preempted. Could Brian Dempsey had already phoned us and get in touch with us and says look whatever you need to, if you, you need finance to get halls or anything like that or you know anything at all let me know he says there's money there so yeah I mean that, that, that was the first point so I think you know we were a bit, bit naive but kind of looking at how we wanted to portray it and we, it was an invite only and you, I'm, I'm sure Matt McGlone puts it in his book that you can't have a revolution by invite you know and people just you know they do it but it, it, it was the first time we, we'd never done it before we were being told you know by the police that you, you well, 500 people you need to steward it you need to yeah. do this so we'd never done it so we thought well okay we need to do this so we'll do that bit naive maybe a bit too honest whereas if we had just said right there's a meeting people come but back without social media just to get a you know a flash mob like that is, is impossible you had to advertise it and you know in, a month in advance basically it's interesting watching the footage because we spotted Stevie Murray mm-hmm. in the crowd Stephen Murray who's quite prolific on Twitter and has obviously written a couple of books on Celtic and he's sitting there with a full head of hair <laughs> looking every inch 1991 <laughs> it's brilliant but of course the spotlight then Willie seemed to then go on you it was almost as if you were the the voice of this this movement. How did you find that? Was that a wee bit nerve wracking from a guy who's a working man huh? uh, who wants the best for his club? All of a sudden, you're getting interviewed by the news channels. Aye, I was completely fish out of water. No, no idea what you know what, what it would entail, and uh, no expectation on it, no PR background or anything like that. It was just a guy working in the railways, you know, doing you know shifts and whatever, working my whole life around trying to get to Celtic games. That was it. That's and, and ever since I'd been, you know, start left school and started work, that's all. Just how do I get to the Celtic game this week, and how do I need to swap shifts, and you know all that kind of stuff. So, to be put in that kind of spotlight was was completely unusual, and you know. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Pictures in the back of newspapers at, you know, Shettleston Halls and things like that. You're not expecting it. You're not turning up there thinking, oh, somebody's going to ask to take a picture of me and have fans behind me and things like that. So it was a bit surreal. But it's just, somebody had to do it. Yeah. And... You know, we, I think we, we sat and talked about that when, you know, when we got the hardcore, they kind of almost like a committee together. So there was Jim, Duncan Hart, Davey Ashman, 
uh, and myself and a guy called Brian Mullen, you know, we sat and we thought, well, who wants to do this? How, how do we do it? And it wasn't so much short straws, but, you know, it's kind of, it just seemed like, you know, the guys were saying to me, you do it. And I think Jim might have been, you know, probably a better speaker, but I ended up with myself. Mm-hmm. And again, the, the footage is fantastic because what you've got there is you've got a table with people like Joe Beltrami. Mm-hmm. So how did the Joe Beltrami appearance come about? I'd, I'd, again, it, we, 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 you know, we'd written to every high-profile Celtic fan we, we, we could think of. So Beltrami was one of the ones that came back and he came back saying, oh, yes, yes, I'll do this. You know, quite bombastic. And then they're saying, come see me at my office and we'll talk about this and how we'll save Celtic. And the kind of, he turns up on the day and he just takes over. <laughs> I mean, so here's a professional that's well-known and used to stand in, you know, a, a really good speaker. And really, you know, wouldn't need a microphone to address, you know, five, six hundred people in a hall. But yeah, so that, that, that was a, more more or less just by, by writing to him and then going to see him and asking him. It sort of mirrors the famous saying, eh? If you got lifted, get Beltrami. <laughs> Celtic are in trouble, get Beltrami. Yep, get me Beltrami. That's <laughs> it. Aye, I know. I know. And, and the thing was, after after we'd had him for the first one, we, we thought, well, we can't take him for the second one because he just takes over the show and we, we don't get the message out we want. And, and we, we were quite conscious, actually, just to be like normal fans and not have a figurehead like Beltrami or, or Brian Dempsey from the point of view then it, it felt as if it was their movement and we wanted to keep it separate from that we still wanted to have that connection just as your average fan who's got a, a, a season ticket or whatever representing other average fans Me and Paul have obviously seen the videos and Terry Cassidy mm-hmm. appeared at one year That was uh, the second uh, one, yeah That was the second one How did you find him? <laughs> Again, he was paid to do a job and the job that he was paid to do, you could argue that he'd done it terribly because where did Celtic end up by the time he had finished with them? It was an absolute mess. And the the, the PR when he was there was, you know, he, he, how, how can you put it? He was a pantomime villain for everybody and he played it to perfection. He did. He absolutely played it. And, and even at that rally when, he, when he's there and he's talking to people, I, could, I, I was sitting watching the crowd and I could see that he'd half the crowd in the palm of his hands. And I'm thinking, these are our fans that are here to try and remove the board so you know he was very good at what he'd done um, the way that he'd done it obviously it, it didn't suit us from a point of view for, for a, you know the momentum that we were trying to create and I dare say that the way that he rubbed the press up even though as Celtic fans we love to see the press mm-hmm. getting a bloody nose that the reality was the way that he was portrayed and whatever from Celtic was probably you know he, he was never going to get a good press of anybody in Scotland. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned momentum there. It seems like very quickly from you guys getting together and handing out the leaflets and getting a few people unhappy with you doing that. You know, the reaction mm-hmm. you got wasn't universal at that stage. You've set up the halls. That got you a lot of press coverage. It started to appear on the back pages. As you say, the high-profile uh, Joe Beltrami gets his weight behind it. You then get the club to engage by sending Terry Cassidy, something they said they wouldn't do after calling you an embarrassment. After your second meeting at the at the halls, what was your next steps? Where, where did you go from there? We kind of thought about the boycotts. We talked about it. Um, and the point was that we thought, well, you know, how would we feel if somebody says to me, you can't go to a game? Guys are working all week. Probably the only pleasure some of these guys might have is, is going to watch Celtic on a Saturday. And for us to turn around and say to them, look, don't go to the game. It might be hard, but you, you need to miss the next four home games. Just don't go, and, but we'll get where we're, we, we want to be here. We just didn't, we, we didn't have the mandate. 
because of the, the numbers. We, we, mm. You know, as I say, we could never get more than the five, 600 people mm-hmm. subscribing to the newsletter, coming to the rallies, and, and we needed more than that. We, you know, and there, there was a, a kind of two-way communication between the, the, the people that signed up. They were writing to us and were saying, you know, you should maybe try this, try that. But there was never a call for a boycott. We just didn't think that the appetite was there. And I do think, you know, just look, looking at it, you know, as you can after years, and even, you know, maybe five, six years after it, we were maybe a year too early, maybe just a year too early. We we, we probably jumped the gun on that because if we came in a, a year later and, and stayed a year longer yeah. and with Alexa Brendan, as I say, getting involved with Celtics for Change, if he had, he'd been there coming forward and taking on board with us and, and the other people that came, then... There, there could have been that, that kind of change but again that's that's just one of those things mm-hmm. It's interesting again that you know people set up a Facebook group or you know a website or a Twitter page back then it was basically putting a newsletter together that you were sending out to yeah. these five, six hundred people When did all that stop? When did you realise the train stopped and you can't go any further? Again results were improving so mentioned beating Rangers a couple of times in a week. I think McCarrick came in, pretty decent run to start with, things like that, you know. So mm-hmm. that, I think it was a period we went, you know, between cup games, Europe and the league, and, you know, 12, 15, 16 games. We, we never get beat. So many false dons. There was, and, you know, you, you, you can kind of see that, but, you, you know, other people are thinking, well, do you know what? I think we're through the burst. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. It's going to be okay when you talk to people and they're saying, well, you know what? That's, it's been a few months now. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, they seem to have listened. And, but you kind of knew in the back of the head, you think, oh, you know what? I've seen this before. This is going to come back to bite us. Particularly when you look at, if we go back to 86, the Scottish football revolution that was not a revolution. No. Celtic followed that up. They went into debt for the first time mm-hmm. with a new fascia at Celtic Park. They then went into major debt with regards to buying players for a million, 1.5, yeah. etc. Because there was four million pound plus signings under Liam Brady. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Celtic were now in a position where our Italian football hero wasn't as good as theirs because soon as had a level of success, we didn't. So we're, we're now in a worse situation where we're still not winning trophies and we're now in debt. You mentioned earlier, and it's something that would be really interested to hear more about, Brendan being the link between the two the two movements, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, how did Brendan come into the equation and how was, uh, how was he then able to link up with Matt for Celts for Change? Yeah, so over the, the, the course of the couple of years that we'd been doing Save Our Celts, I would, I would see Brendan on a, on a regular basis, just through work, chat to him. And, you know, Brendan was you know, right on the same page as, as myself whenever, whenever I would chat to him. You know, he, he, he kind of, he, he just watched it from fire, never actually got involved but we we decided then I think when about late eighty two that sorry, late ninety two, early ninety three or whatever that, that was it. We, we we couldn't take it any further. We'd went as far as we could go and we were calling it a day because you know the people's I'm not saying our own heart wasn't in it, but we, we just couldn't get that momentum going on. And I got a phone call one night from Brendan just saying, Look, I'm I'm wanting to do something. I'm I'm looking to do it. Do you fancy do just picking up the reins again and doing it and I, I kind of you know hummed and hawed and I thought well you know let me think about it I'll get your phone back and I called him back and I said look I says, I, I just don't think the fans want to do it I honestly don't I says, but talk to Matt McGlone and I gave him Matt's number I says, Matt is, is, is desperately keen to do something you know but this time McGlone uh, Matt was editor once a time which was for what I can remember a bit more 
militant yeah. than what not the view was at that point. Yeah, because met Matt a couple of times and, 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 and he was the one to put posters up around about Glasgow or Ferris, you know, just directors, you know, guilty of cross mismanagement, things mm-hmm. like that, and just have them, you know, at various points throughout the town. And, you know, it was a kind of propaganda war and, and, and kind of almost a guerrilla war that, that, that Matt had, had, had in mind. And again, you, you're looking at that, it did have to be something quite radical. But as I say, I put, put Brendan in touch with Matt and I think just having Brendan having that, that kind of drive and Matt having the kind of ideas that he had and, and obviously, I mean, you've you, maybe read his book and whatever, but, you know, it, they were able to take it to another level. So do you think your approach was very much, you, you were writing to people, you were asking in that respect and this was far more uh, rebellious, if you like? Yeah, I, I think they were certainly a lot more radical and rebellious. I, I think from our point of view, we, we, were, we were a pressure group. We were trying to highlight the issues constantly to people, talk to people, try to spread the word um, and just start something, just get something without knowing where it could go. Whereas I think when the next step, you know, and the natural step onto that, you had something to build on. Um, you had a, a kind of a core of disenfranchised and you, and you could take that somewhere. And then obviously, the, the, you know, the results under McCarry dived very quickly. So within three or four months of us stopping it, we couldn't just then say, oh, we'll start up again because his results are going bad. It was like, well, let's just see how this goes. But by that point, you know, Brendan, Matt and whatever had decided that, you know, that the next step was on and, and, and Selks for Change had, 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 had kind of grown and it, it grew very quickly. Mm-hmm. Were you able to get involved in any way, Willie, or were you quite happy about that stage that it was in good hands and you could just support them as best you can? Yeah, I, I, was, I was more than happy. My first son had been born, so, you know, things were going well in work, buying a house, all that kind of stuff, and I thought, do you know what, I'm going to spend time here rather than being out seven nights a week trying to, to get things and just see how it goes. But, you know, I thought they'd done brilliantly, and, and even the night, you know, going back to that night in March in 1994, where, you know, the Rebels had won, myself and and Brian Mullen were, were standing out in the car park just in the rain, just, you know, watching it and, and so happy that it had happened, you know. Did you get a sense that, although you weren't a part of that particular movement, the seeds had been sown a couple of years before with you guys? And then obviously there's that very important link between Save Ourselves, Brendan and Selks for Change. Right. You know, you must have felt a, a great sense of pride. Yeah, because at the end of the day, it was, it was fans that had done it. Um, and even though some of the fans were fans with a lot of money, so whether it be Brian Dempsey or John Keane or, or Fergus, obviously, who, you know, could never have been done without him. It's, I don't think anybody's in any two doubts about that. It was fans, though. This is the thing that no matter who those fans were, whether they had a pound in their pocket or a million pound, it was the fans that saved Celtic. That was it. End of. You know, you don't have to look at anybody else and say, thank God, you know, that multi-millionaire from Saudi Arabia came in. We, we didn't need to do that. We just, Celtic fans came in and saved the club. You mentioned Fergus and the fact that it's 25 years since the takeover. During your period of Save Ourselves, was there any inclination that this wee guy from Canada because I know you'd been in and around the club late 80s looking mm-hmm. for a deal to be struck were you aware of Fergus McCann? Yeah he, he actually wrote to us and I think it was Jim that got the letter and, and basically put his, his proposal about how he could refinance Celtic and included you know the, the very successful share issue so you know, basically says this is how I would do it this is what I would do talked about building a stadium you know on the current ground you know, 55, 60,000 people. He basically put his blueprint out to us about two years before he even, you know, 
started being a, a, a regular figure at Celtic Park. I'm sure Jim will have that letter, he'll have the, the correspondence, it might even be a telegraph for all I know, you know. <laughs> a telegram, I should say. Yeah, because he's, he's given us all the newsletters, Aye. all the video footage. It's, it's interesting reading, very much so. Uh, so obviously it's come good through the, the, the fan pressure movements, save ourselves, and everybody's working together by that stage, because obviously... Matt's working with David Lowe, who's the Lincoln to Fergus, and everybody's yep. working together. What we're seeing now, Willie, a successful club based on very, very strong foundations. The balance sheet is always very positive. There's a million fans come through the door last season. Is that Fergus's legacy? I think it is. I don't think, I mean, as I say, the, the only thing that I would have wanted different was mm. is probably fan representation on the board. And for me, for that to work, you couldn't have one fan on the board forever because they just become part of the board, become part of the issues that fans have. I think you would have to have an election from the fans to put somebody on every two years maximum to try and get something done. So that would be the only thing. Everything else, I mean, looking at you know, the way the club is, the way it's structured, um, it goes back to Fergus. Uh, the, the one thing I, I would say would be different is, I suppose, if, 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 we, if we look at Rangers uh, and, and obviously the, the new club out there, Fergus would have wanted them in the Premier League to start with, but I think he would have made quite sure from the start that they would be known as a new club, just taking the old mm-hmm. club's place. Yeah, I mean, you could you could argue to your blue in the face of you know whether you're, you're you're as a club Celtic need Rangers. Now they showed for you know the best part of five six years that they you know they competed well, especially in Europe without them. But the reality is that you you know under Ronnie that you know there was empty seats so. Mm-hmm. Crowds didn't turn up forty thousand. I mean, I, I remember sitting at the, you know, in fact, it was a, I think it was a midweek or a, maybe a couple of midweeks before they, they got beat by Rangers and or drew by Rangers in the, the semi final, knocked out in penalties, and we played Dundee in a midweek game. It was nothing each. I'm sitting there, so we're into the, the last kind of six eight weeks of Ronnie Dahlia's reign, and I think there's twenty thousand people in the stadium if you're lucky on a Wednesday night. It's horrible, nothing each game. You know, I'm sitting there, and I'm looking around, and I'm thinking. Christ, I never thought I'd see this again. You know, when we're going to win the league, it's different if you're yeah. if you're sitting there under, you know, um, Joe Vengloss or something like that, and you've lost the league by January or whatever, you know, and you're sitting there towards the end of the season, nobody's turned up. We were going to win the league, and there's twenty thousand people, and you know, it was a dreadful game of football. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that, that that was the reality, and I think that maybe made people think, well, look, something needs to change here. Obviously, we're talking about Ferguson's legacy, and Ferguson's legacy started with the fanzines. The fanzines brought you into play, Jim or Save Ourselves, Sales for Changing That. You mentioned that it was all self-addressed envelopes, it was all newsletters, it was all handing out leaflets at the game. For me, the football landscape's going to change in the next 10 years. There's going to be a cross-European league. If Celtic, for me, if Celtic get into a cross-European league, that then opens us up to be taken over by a sovereign wealth oil money, a Chinese hedge fund. Say we get to this point where we're going to get, say, a country who violates human rights, interested in taking over Celtic to boost their image. Do you think a movement like Save Ourselves would start and would survive to try and stop that happening? I mean, the, the, the example that you, 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 you give is probably one of the examples that uh, there might be a chance for fans to really do something. So, if it, you know, say we... You know, a wealthy Israeli company or Arab company came in and, you know, took over and they, they had a hell of a human rights process. I think that's maybe the one thing that would maybe unify its Celtic fans to, to that point of view. If 
it was just somebody, some multi-millionaire steel mogul from, say, America or Canada or Australia that had none of that, and they came in. I, I don't think anybody would care. But, you know, I think a lot of the older fans, guys at my age, would think, oh, you know, this isn't the way, this isn't, you know, mm. how, how Celtic should be in. But I, I don't think there would be a movement as such against that. Um, I don't think young, younger fans would particularly care if it, if it meant that Celtic were, you know, playing in the same kind of field as your PSGs and so on. I, I honestly don't think they would care. Mm-hmm. There is there is that um, sense of if you're you're being entertained or if you're winning games, everything else just kind of goes yeah. out the window, Willie. And you've, you've seen that back in the, the early 90s. A great point Kevin's made before when we were talking to Jim was if a movement was to be necessary, and we did see it in Glasgow mm-hmm. fairly recently, in the not too distant past, with all of the wealth of communication that we now have, would it actually be more difficult to get that hardcore to see something through? Yeah. I, 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 in that aspect, what we've done, and you know, what the Celtic fans had done in the early 90s, couldn't be done now. Yeah. I, I, I don't think. You, you, you mentioned what happened across the city, and you look what they've tried to do. They've ate themselves. Yeah. There's that many different supporters groups yeah. fighting each other, and they're still fighting each other, even though it looks like they're they're more successful on the pitch. Even mm-hmm. though that's probably mere down to us having a mm-hmm. better season rather, rather than <laughs> anything. Very much so. But they're still in fighting yeah. because of the scale of social media, the fact that everybody's got an opinion. Yes, and somebody says one thing, other people j- jump in, but it's usually. The, the the person with the most outlandish view gets the most airtime. Yeah. So 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 back then, if you think about it, if you if you wanted to do something, you had to get off off your backside and do it, or at very least buy a stamp and an envelope and post it and put mm-hmm. your your view to somebody and tell them exactly how you felt. Whereas now you just pick up your phone and you can like something or make a comment and. So you put that in the hands of, you know, 100,000 people, you're going to get, you know, and, and it will be polarised to, to one side, you know, do that, and other people saying, why are we bothering with these guys? These guys are tossers, what do they know? Yeah. And, and that's it. So it would be undermined before it even started. It, it would really need to be to the point where we would have to be on our knees and, and, and that kind of, you know, by the way, if, if we don't do something tonight, tomorrow, we're shut. So we need everybody to get up and, you know, give a you know, a thousand pounds or something like that. Come together. Just uh, right up to date, uh, we're now looking, you started following Celtic when we were in the realms of nine in a row. We've never seen such success until now. We're in we're in the midst of making even more history. Are you now quite happy just to go back to being one of the fans that wears the scarf and goes to the game? And how much are you enjoying it now, Willie? Ah, I mean, the last two seasons have been brilliant, haven't they? And, and it's quite funny, you know, we're talking about how fickle fans are. I mean, the, the reaction at the beginning of this season to a couple of defeats and, you know, that. But we, we should have won against Ike Athens we should have done you know it was a pretty poor performance and a, you know losing Dembele when we did and obviously Bayata down in tools are, are, are horrible things but other clubs have to deal with that uh, and we weren't best prepared for it and we could have been better prepared for it and, and that goes down to our signing mm-hmm. policies Correct. and the type of players mm-hmm. that we've got so th- there is an issue there about the type of players that we're signing there is an issue about the type of money that we're spending given that we are cash rich um, that still needs to be addressed it may get addressed in the next window um, so I think that's something that we, we need to be kind of conscious of and fans I think are quite right to to probe the club on this but the success we've had I, I'd never known anything like it you know double treble 
And even there, you know, the first treble, that when, when that goal, that day at Hamden, the Tom Rogic goal goes in, I've never experienced anything like that in a long time at football. I still get goosebumps. Uh, it's great. It's, it. it's absolutely brilliant. It's just the, the, that day and how it all worked out, it's still one of my favourite moments watching Celtic, ah, and there's many. Ollie Wilson, we're a Celtic state of mind. Thanks very much. Thanks, Ollie. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.